So, Elijah, where'd you go? <laughs> He's trying to hide behind the drums. This is on you, man, okay? This is on you. Uh, it's been um, a couple of strong messages the last three or four weeks. Um, we talked about Job. What did we learn from Job? Anybody? Anybody want to speak? God will not be distracted with our temporal happiness. God will give Himself to His people. One of the things we learned. What was Satan's accusation against Job? Anybody remember? Satan's accusation. He only loves you because it's good for business. He only loves you because you bless Him, right? It's the same accusation he's making against you right now. We talked a lot about that. Um, Three weeks ago, we talked about calamity. What is God doing in calamity? What two things is God doing in calamity? Anybody? Anybody? Can anybody remember? At least two things. He's doing a billion things all at once. But what, what two principal things is God doing in calamity? He's calling people to repentance. He's judging and calling to repentance, right? It's the same thing God does every time the Gospel is preached. He's judging those who reject. He's saving those who receive. God is always doing these two things. He's always doing them. And the born-again believer, we're not astonished the day the calamity comes. We're astonished every day that it doesn't come. We talked about this, right? We've earned our wages. We know every day we have on the planet is grace and mercy. We know that. And in the last two weeks, we've been talking about judgment. God is not unclear about His righteous intent to pour out His wrath on rebellious angels and men. We saw what He said in 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, I've done it. 2 Peter chapter 3, I will do it. God is coming. Wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. And we need to be able to love people enough to share this with them, right? And so in light of these messages, you know, we've been looking at the kindness and severity of God. Romans 11, 22. It's a good thing. Most of the modern church is hung up on simply looking at the kindness of God. And I don't have a problem with looking at the kindness of God. Every Christian sitting in this room is the beneficiary of the kindness of God. I don't have a problem with that. Much of the modern church no longer will look at the severity of God. And there's great profit in it. This is some of the things I've heard from some of you about these messages. God has been working humility, contrition, meekness, conviction, repentance, thankfulness, awe, quietness, worship, and profound joy. We've earned our wages. We know what we deserve. But God has loved us and redeemed us. How can we not be filled with joy? Inextinguishable joy. No matter what the circumstances are so 
Yeah, this is on Elijah. It just seemed good after talking about so many weighty things, deep things, it seemed good to go and enjoy the green pastures and quiet waters of the 23rd Psalm. As I told you earlier, I love it and I need it. To simply delight in who God is and the kindness that He extends to us. I was meditating this week on Romans... uh, Romans 8.32, some of you probably have it committed to memory. It's a, it's a massive verse. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us every good thing? Amen? Behold the kindness of God! He did not withhold His own Son from you! Behold the kindness of God. The infinite kindness of God. And as I worked on this message, the word kept coming into my mind. The the omnipotent kindness of God. Right? It's unassailable. No demon can pierce it. No army of demons can pierce it. Satan cannot pierce it. The omnipotent kindness of God toward His people. So it was good to go to the green pastures and the quiet waters and allow me to talk about it like this. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, When I was a small boy, my dad was the head football coach of the North Little Rock High School Charging Wildcats. And of course, to me, a little boy who loved sports, he was the coolest dad in the world. When he would go to the high school, he would he would chain himself up. I mean, he would like put this giant ring of keys. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He put a giant ring of keys because he could open every door in the high school, right? And this was a big deal to me. Um, yeah, we would go down to the school when, on Saturdays or in the afternoons late when nobody was there. Dad, I like to play basketball. No problem, Jimmy Jr. Bam. He opens a gym, right? Dad, I like to play in the equipment room. I want to play with the blocking and tackling dummies. No problem, Jim. Got you covered. Bam. Right? Dad, Dad I'd like to go play in the, in the workout room. I want to jump on the trampoline. No problem, Jim. Bam. You're in. And I remember I used to get out on the football field. You know, it was a small stadium for, not too small really for high school standards. It probably held 10,000 people, right? And I, I ran endless imaginary touchdowns down the field, right? <laughs> and sometimes people would catch me and they say, what are you doing here, little kid? You're not supposed to be. This is a restricted area. Guess what? All I had to say was what? My dad is... Jim Albright, coach of the North Rock High School Charging Wildcats. It was all good then. It was all good. My dad, he not only had all the keys, he had all the authority. And that was huge. That was huge to me. And all I had to do was say his name. So in my very, very small world as a little boy who just wanted to play, <clears throat> my earthly father held every key and had all the authority. Of course, you guys know where I'm going with this. In my very, very grown-up world, as a man who really just wants to walk with Jesus, my father holds every key, my heavenly father, and he has all the authority. My earthly father was the head football coach at the Northern Rock High School It was very cool. My Heavenly Father is God. 
who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. It is very awesome. It is very awesome. So, when I read Psalm 23, I think of God in this way. And I was blessed to have a father who modeled this for me. My father reigned in the athletic department at North Rock High School. If you know Jesus Christ tonight, your God reigns in the cosmos. <laughs> he reigns. He reigns. There's not, as I often say to you, there's not one rogue molecule in the universe. Your God reigns. So in the 23rd Psalm, our Heavenly Father shows us that He has the keys, verses 1 and 2, to experiencing temporal and spiritual contentment and rest. Our Father holds the keys to knowing the exhilaration of wholeness and righteous living, verse 3. Our Father holds the keys to uh, possessing courage in the face of extreme trials, even death. Verse 4. Our Heavenly Father holds the key to absolute confidence in the face of enemies. Verse 5. And our Heavenly Father gives us unqualified assurance of an imperishable inheritance. Verse 6. This came up Tuesday night with the young adults and um, I've always loved Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 6 of the 23rd Psalm. Some of you will be familiar with it. It may be his best paraphrase in, in the whole message Bible. He says it like this, God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. Beloved, do you know it's true? Do you know it's true? That God's beauty and love chases after you. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow after me all the days of my life. Right? Surely! It's an invincible fact. It can never not be true. God has purposed for it to be so. It will be so. Surely, the beauty and love of God chase after me every day, even on the hard day, even when I bury my son. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is good. God is present. It's what David is talking about in the 23rd Psalm. Our sovereign Father God holds every key in life and death. And He holds all authority in life and death. In Psalm 23, we see the love and the goodness and the kindness and the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God, the attentiveness, the power, and the sovereignty. We have no limitations on the planet. You know, it's a word I like to use a lot. You have license. Some of you aren't living your Christianity like you ought. You have license to live it huge. You have no constraints. Goodness and loving kindness is chasing after you every day. God is at work in the lives of His children every day. <clears throat> Made me think of Romans 8.15. I'm going to 
use Eugene Peterson's paraphrase again. I don't often use him this way, but I, I just absolutely love his paraphrase on Romans 8.15. He says, The resurrection life you received from God, it's not a timid kind of life, right? It's not a grave-tending kind of life. It's adventurously expectant. It's one thing that I think the Lord is calling us to tonight. Are you adventurously expectant with God? Even if, it's, even if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, do you have an expectancy from God? This is one of the things that I see in my experience that's lacking in much of the modern church. There's no genuine expectancy about what God's going to do, right? Continuing with Eugene Peterson. Expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Right? <laughs> what's next, Papa? I love that paraphrase. So, because of the omnipotent kindness of God toward us, we have childlike freedom to walk radically with Jesus Christ. It's the thing I call you to almost every Sunday. You're not here to play church. You're here to walk with God. You're here to, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You're here to be a disciple. It's why He's left you on the planet. Everything else comes after that. Whatever, what, whatever other goals or priorities you have, come under the umbrella of I will live radically for the glory of Christ. Right? This is what Christians sign up for. This is what it means when he says, follow me. This is what it means. It's what it always means, beloved. It's what it means. So, we are the sons and daughters of El Shaddai, whether in great blessing or great trial, in abundance or loss, gladness or grief, jubilation or sorrow, in all confidence and assurance, we can cry out, what's next, Papa? Amen? Abba, Father! Abba, Father! We can do it with all assurance and expectancy. He not only hears, He does. He says, I do all my good pleasure in heaven and earth. And how much pleasure does it give Him to be at work in the lives of His sons and daughters? <laughs> it's an amazing thing. So we see this sheep-shepherd shepherd metaphor here in in the 23rd Psalm, obviously, uh, the Bible, if you know your Bible, uh, you understand that, that it goes even deeper. It goes, from, it goes into the, the father-child metaphor. We are adopted children of, of Jehovah God. We understand that from Scripture. And one other point I'll make before I get into the verses. I'm sure most of you are aware of this. This is a very personal Psalm. Most theologians believe David wrote this uh, late in life. He had walked down many a path with God. And David doesn't use we, us, and they. He uses my, me, and I. And I think the Holy Spirit wants you to own the 23rd Psalm. Well, I know He does. He wants you to own it. Just as He gave it to David to record for us, and David owned it for himself, the Holy Spirit means for you to own it. And to incarnate it, right? So, let's look at the text. I, I loved how Blessing read it. Of course, if I had a British accent, I'd be a mega pastor for, for, for real. But um, I love how he read it. But he did emphasize one thing. He said, the Lord is what? 
a shepherd. No, the Lord is the shepherd. Wait, no, what was it? The Lord is my shepherd. Beloved, it makes all the difference. Christianity is not academic, it's not theoretical. Is he your shepherd? It all changes if he is. There's not one thing that doesn't change if he is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Again, I'll say it again. The God who effortlessly speaks two trillion galaxies into existence, he's my shepherd. That's my shepherd. He's the one who takes care of me. Not only with omnipotent power, but omnipotent kindness. Amen? Behold the kindness of God and rejoice and let it spill out of your life. Let the people around you see it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The best translation is probably lack. I shall not lack. David says, David understood what it was like to be a shepherd, right? He'd done it. He knew that it was not only rigorous, but dangerous in the ancient world, right? You remember when he went to go fight Goliath? Goliath, uh, Saul said, um, no, Saul said, you can't go, man. You can't go. You're, you're a kid. You're a punk. You can't go. And what did David say? Man, I've killed a lion and a bear. I'm not afraid of this guy. Right? I'm not afraid of this guy. God was with me with the lion and the bear. He'll be with me with this giant. So David knew all about the dangers of being a shepherd. He knew what it meant to commit to the sheep. Right? And I think I'll preach next week about God's commitment to us. But the commitment to the sheep. He would defend the sheep with his life. It's the one thing that John 10 makes so clear. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep of my own initiative. I do it of my own accord. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down for my sheep. This is how I love my sheep. This is how much our shepherd loves us. And if you, if you look at the Greek word there, good, the good shepherd, it's the word kalos. It's the word that, that's used in the English to build kaleidoscope. It's talking about the beauty of God. The beauty of the Good Shepherd. He's excellent. He's imminent. He's, he's precious. He's commendable. He's magnificent. He's competent. He's praiseworthy. He's noble. You guys know if you know John 10, it's a beautiful, beautiful text. Jesus says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I call them by name. They hear me and they follow me. I saw on YouTube... Uh, some time ago, you guys may have seen this video. They have all these non-shepherds calling the sheep, right? Have you seen this? There are a bunch of sheep in the field. And these tourists are calling the sheep. And of course, the sheep, they never look up. And then the real shepherd calls them. What happens? You know what happens, right? Every sheep in that field, in unison, goes like that. That's how it is with you and Jesus, right? Right? When He speaks, you know it. You hear it. It matters. It matters more than anything else. It matters more than anything else. 
Jesus said, my sheep hear me. I know them. I love them. They love me. They follow me. It's true Christianity. When anyone asks me, well, Jim, summarize true Christianity for me. It's always John 10. It's John 10, 27. It's always John 10. And what did Jesus say about those sheep that His Father had given Him? What, does anybody remember? He says it like nine times uh, in, in the Gospel of John, I think. What does Jesus say about those that the Father had given Him? What does He say? I hope I don't lose any! Right? Is that what He said? What did He say? That's right, Elijah. It's good that you answered because this sermon is on you. <laughs> right? Jesus said, I'll never lose one! Ever! You know, the thing I loved about that is, uh, you think Jesus is going to lose a loved gift from the Father? Do you, do you not understand how precious that must be to the Son? This love gift to to Him from the Father? You know, there's a lot of good arguments for security of salvation. I think that's the strongest. He's never going to lose a loved gift from the Father. So, some of you may have noticed um, the 23rd Psalm follows the 22nd Psalm. Did you notice it? It's why I get the big money. Um, but it, there's something to it. What is the 22nd Psalm about? What, what, in part, what is it about? The crucifixion of Jesus. It's really beautiful. Oh, I guess it's a coincidence. No, it's not. That right after the psalm, that's also often called the fifth gospel because there's so much there about Christ. And it's so often quoted in the New Testament. It's interesting that right after that is the 23rd psalm. My shepherd. That's my shepherd. You just look back one psalm, that's my shepherd. That's how my shepherd loves me. That's the definition of how I am loved. Back to I do not lack. Okay, listen, I'm parking on verse 1. Don't worry, I'll get through the rest of it. I'm parking on verse 1. What does it mean, I won't lack? It means, well, I get everything I want. It means I always get everything I want. That's what, that's what God is saying. I'll always get everything I want, right? Is that what God is saying? You know what's being said here? <laughs> it's not that you get everything you want. In a temporal sense, you get everything you need in a spiritual sense. God will not leave one thing left undone. You are His. It's a done deal, right? It is a done deal. What is necessary in the believer's life? That, that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. God will not leave one thing undone. You will, lack, you will not lack one good thing as you are being conformed to the image of Christ. As you are being sanctified. God will do it. I will finish the good work I've begun. God will do it. This is our assurance. Not that I have perfect attendance at church. Hey, I wish we all did. <laughs> My assurance is, is the finished work of Jesus. Psalm 84.11 No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. You heard me read it earlier. Every time I get into Psalm 23, I think of Carrie Tittle. Karen and I know her. She's a, a woman from 
our home church in Little Rock. Back in 2014, I believe it was an EF4 tornado came through uh, central Arkansas and killed her husband and two of her nine children. Uh, we've seen a picture of the house. There was nothing but a concrete slab left. Now, this is a woman who will tell you she does not lack. The text doesn't say you will not cry, you will not grieve, you will not hurt. The text says you will not lack. God is present with His people, as you know, in the trial. I'll never forget what one person said about Carrie Tittle. He said that a small God is no good in a big storm. Amen? And she has a big God. She has a big God. A God who can love her through that kind of calamity. So verse 1, uh, it attacks anxiety. And we know what Jesus says about anxiety. He says, well, you need to worry about almost everything because I don't think I can handle it. Is that what God says? Is that what Jesus says in the Gospels? What does He say? Stop it! <laughs> Stop worrying about everything! I'm your shepherd! So I'm going to challenge some of you. Some of you are worried. And I was confessing to Karen this week, sometimes it wells up in me. You know, I'm an old man. I should be past this. But I have learned this. It wells up in me and I've learned to throw it off. I immediately, I recognize it, I throw it off. I will not entertain it. It's gone, right? This is what I've been counseling you to, and exhorting you guys to do. To throw off the anxiety. Uh, Philippians 4.19, God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is, many professed Christians simply do not believe that. They don't believe it. They just don't believe it. They don't believe what Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They simply don't believe it. You know, it's okay to believe God in the church, but man, when I'm out in the world, it's a different thing. Wrong. It's not a different thing. It's when it's real. It's when you find out who you really are and what you really believe. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Yeah, the Good Shepherd leads His sheep to the good place. The literal translation is tender grass and quiet waters. It doesn't get any better for a sheep. I want to... Share just briefly, back in the mid-80s, I was unemployed for a long time. Well, for me, it was six months. That was a long time. And uh, as I told you several weeks ago, you know, I had a stay-at-home wife, two kids, a dog, a cat, two finches, and a mortgage. And so it was a big deal for me. And I'll never forget, I, I went and talked to my spiritual mentor, and he said, Jim, he says, do you know where the 23rd Psalm is in the Bible? <laughs> Don't you hate it when they do stuff like this? Um, when your spiritual mentor does something like this. I said, yeah, Jim. He says, have you read it lately? Right? Have you read it lately? He says, are you in need at all? And I said, no, Jim. The Lord is providing in, in a variety of different ways. He says, well, lay down in that green pasture and worship God. Now, I can happily say I've been able to give that advice to many unemployed men since then. It was during that six months that God confirmed His call to me to go preach. 
It would be years before it would come to fruition. But I spent a lot of time with God, looking at God in the Word, right? And I, I, just, I was laying down in that green pasture. And God was kind and attentive. And He came to me. And I was changed forever. Of course, most people would say, well, there's no way unemployment can be, be a, a green pasture. And, 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 and before 1988, I would have agreed with you, but now I tell you it is. Not only that, but any other type of temporal trial. Karen read a book of some years ago entitled Anything, uh, written by uh, Jeannie Allen, and she quotes a young woman named Rachel from her church, and I've always loved this quote. It says, you have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because you really don't know the difference. I thought unemployment was going to be awful. I thought it was the end. I was full of fear and anxiety, right? God met me there. It's why James chapter 1, verse 2 is not stupid. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, well, why is that not stupid? Because God is in the trial. God is coming to us. God will be with us. In the midst of the trial, He is the green pasture. He is the still water. It's what He means to be for us, beloved. So the next time the trial comes, don't waste it. Don't waste it with your worry and anxiety. Okay? Don't waste it. Hey, here's an idea. Why don't you believe Jesus? <laughs> Why not really believe Jesus, right? And throw out off that anxiety and believe. Believe in God. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Two things. He refreshes my soul, right? Well, we understand two things are going on here for the believer, the true believer. One is conversion. One is regeneration. God makes us alive, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. You go down a few verses and God made us alive, right? We are born again. So this is one thing God does in the lives of His people, right? And secondly, what's He doing? He's always restoring us through sanctification, right? The Holy Spirit is at work in us and we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So God is always building up our soul, so to speak. He's always refreshing and restoring our soul through regeneration, through being born again by that sovereign act that He does, and then through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, a lot of people come and talk to me about a lot of problems, and I'm happy to, 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 to counsel people, and I'm happy to, sometimes I'm able to actually give them concrete steps, things that can help them in their particular circumstance. But you know the best thing I ever tell people? The very best thing I ever tell people, and I tell it to everybody I counsel, Psalm 37.4, what does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord. Right? That's always our principal problem. It doesn't matter what the circumstantial problem is. The principal problem, the most important question is, are you delighting in God? Are you happy in God? Because let me tell you, beloved, if you're happy in God, the rest of it will fall out. Doesn't mean you don't have to lay your hands on some things. But our God is sovereign. <laughs> 
Our God is sovereign and He's our shepherd. He's my shepherd. He is my shepherd. I'm just going to stop and read it to you again. Romans 8.32 For He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not freely give us all things? Stop worrying. Stop worrying. You know, when the unconverted ear hears this thing about um, yeah, walking in paths of righteousness, I know the unconverted ear hears, well, that's church... That's church attendance and moral rule keeping, right? It, it doesn't sound like any fun to me. I don't, I don't think I want any of that. Now, the converted here, you know, the, the, the unconverted guy hears the outside in stuff. The, the converted guy hears the inside out stuff, right? We hear the inside out stuff. We just, need to let, we just need to let God have control, right? And let Him work from the inside out. That's what I hear. That's what it means to walk in the paths of righteousness. What is right for the creature? What is right for the, for the Christian? What is ultimately right? What is right? That you are intimately acquainted with your Creator and your Redeemer. That's what's right. Right? The cosmos is all about Jesus. He's the point. I lovingly tell you this all the time. It's not about you. It's never going to be about you. It's about Christ. And so as you are related to Him, right? you find what's right for the creature. You find what's right for man. And that's intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with Me. So we got this image of the shepherd taking the sheep through a hard thing. Why, why would he do this? Why does he do it? You know. Why does he do it? Tell me. To get him to a better place. Right? right? You know, the unbeliever just has wasted pain. It's just wasted pain. As one theologian said, the Christian has, doesn't have one tear to spare. God's taking you to a better place through the tear, through the trial, through the valley. Do you believe it? Do you believe Romans 8.28 is true every day you get up? Do you believe it? Do you believe it's true? Do you claim it? Do you own it? Do you incarnate it? Jim, I had the worst day I've ever had. Oh, guess what? You belong to Jesus? God's doing something good you can't begin to understand. Do you believe it? Yes, I believe it. Praise the Lord. Right? He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. David says, I will not fear. I will not fear. David says, I will not doubt omnipotent kindness. Some of you, I just say to you in love, some of you doubt omnipotent kindness. You doubt the promise and the presence of God. You doubt it. And my ex one of my exhortations to you tonight is to stop doing that. You call yourself a Christian. Own it, beloved. Own it. Own it. And live it. Huge! For the few moments you have left on this planet. Isaiah 54.10 For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. That's God speaking. That's God speaking. So, verse 5, 
You prepare a table before Me in the presence of Mine enemies. You have anointed My head with oil. There's a lot to say here, but for the sake of time, I want to make, I want to make two points. The godly man will have enemies. Spurgeon says something like, if you don't have enemies, you might want to ask yourself if you are a friend of God. What did Jesus say? The world will love you because you're mine. Oh, no, it wasn't. What was it? What did Jesus say? The world will hate you. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Man, when you sell out to Christ, it hits the fan sometimes. It just does. That's what it's what happens sometimes in the world. We have enemies. We have enemies. But God makes a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. God is our banquet. Are you availing yourself to the banquet, beloved? God is our banquet. God is our banquet. He didn't send some angel, right? God's our banquet. We feed on God. We know God. We're intimate with God. We love God. We walk with God. It's an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. He says, "My cup overflows." Right? My cup overflows, and made me think of Romans nine twenty three, where we're called the vessels of mercy, and the mercy of God will just be overflowing for a billion eternities. Right? The kindness and mercy and grace and love and compassion of God just overflows out of the vessels of mercy. My cup overflows. Psalm 118, 5 and 6. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. He answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 6. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God says, my goodness and loving kindness, it's a done deal. So I'm just going to ask you, will you live like that's true? i got to say it again. You have license to walk out that door and be a radical disciple of Jesus. You actually have no excuses. You call yourself, if you're a Christian, you have no excuses. If you're not a Christian, I get it. It doesn't make sense to you. You're not going to waste your life on that, quote-unquote. You got better things to do, quote unquote. It's too risky, quote unquote. God has redeemed you <laughs> to go out there and be His witness. It's one of the many things He's doing. And again, I return back to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase God says, My beauty and my love chase after you every day. Every day. Day you roll out of bed, omnipotent kindness envelops you, beloved. <laughs> Can you not get jazzed about it? You know, I, I don't understand Christians and live they live their faith this big. I, I've never understood it, and I'm not saying I've arrived. I've got a long way to go. But how can you not be jazzed about what God is saying to us here? 
Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That's Luke 12.32. God has unlocked every door in the kingdom, in the cosmos. It is ours. You say, Jim, I don't, I don't feel like it's mine. It's yours. God says it's yours. It will be yours. You say, Jim, I don't have it now. Well, in the providence of God, you don't need it now. It will be yours. It will be yours. When you need it, it will be yours. God will finish the good work He's begun. He'll do it. It's a promise. He never doesn't keep a promise, beloved. And we have this inheritance. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This inheritance that Peter talks about, it's reserved in heaven and it's protected by the power of God. It's there. It's yours. Do you have an expectancy, beloved? It'll change the way you live. If you're looking at heaven, it'll change the way you live this life. If you're looking at your inheritance. So just like my dad, he was the head football coach of the North Little Rock High School Charging Wildcats, and he had a bunch of keys. And he reigned in the athletic department. And he had total authority to do whatever he wanted for me. You see how that's a beautiful picture of God in our lives? I love it. I love it. There are no locked doors for the children of God. Let me close with this. God has set His heart on us. God has come for us. God has atoned for our sin. God has caused us to be born again. God has indwelt us and is sanctifying us. God the Holy Spirit and God the Son are interceding for us. God is holding us in His sovereign and omnipotent hand. Yeah, I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God will see to it. Amen? God will bring me through. He's my shepherd. God's my shepherd. My shepherd. If He's not yours, please, come and talk to me. Come talk to me. We'll sort it out together over the Word of God. Surely God's beauty and love chase after me every moment of my life. And I'll close with Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now says the Lord your Creator, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are what? Beloved, it changes everything. It changes everything. God continues, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Behold the omnipotent kindness of God. This is how we're loved. <laughs> this is how we're loved. Let's pray together.
Lord, these are beautiful things. Breathtaking things. Compelling truths. You're my shepherd. You're my shepherd. And that can never change. It will never change. Thank you, Father, that you have loved us and redeemed us in this astonishing way. Thank you for the commitments you've made to us. These astonishing promises. Lord, help us when we don't claim Your Word. We don't stand on Your Word. We don't incarnate the Word. We're not doers of the Word. Lord, forgive us. We all fail. We all fall short. But You are good and kind and gracious God. Help us, Lord. Help us be Your witnesses in the world. You are our shepherd. What can man do to me? What can mere man do to me? You are my God. You are my shepherd. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.